Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road and Chapters 18 and 19 from Agatha Christie's The Secret Adversary. And now, Chapter 18, The Telegram. Baffled for the moment, Tommy strolled into the restaurant and ordered a meal of surpassing excellence. His four days' imprisonment had taught him anew to value good food. He was in the middle of conveying a particularly choice morsel of sole a la Jeanette to his mouth when he caught sight of Julius entering the room. Tommy waved a menu cheerfully and succeeded in attracting the other's attention. At the sight of Tommy, Julius's eyes seemed as though they would pop out of his head. He strode across and pump-handled Tommy's hand with what seemed to the latter quite unnecessary vigor. "'Holy snakes!' he said. "'Is it really you?' "'Of course it is. Why shouldn't it be?' "'Why shouldn't it be? Say, man, don't you know you've been given up for dead? I guess we'd have a solemn requiem for you in another few days.' "'Who thought I was dead?' demanded Tommy. "'Tuppence.' "'Tuppence.' "'She remembered the proverb about the good dying young, I suppose. "'There must be a certain amount of original sin in me to have survived. "'Where is Tuppence, by the way?' "'Isn't she here?' "'No, the fellows at the office said she had just gone out. "'Gone shopping, I guess. "'I dropped her here in the car about an hour ago. "'But say, can't you shed that British calm of yours and get down to it? "'What on God's earth have you been doing all this time?' "'If you're feeding here,' replied Tommy, "'order now. It's going to be a long story.' Julius drew up a chair to the opposite side of the table, summoned the hovering waiter, and dictated his wishes. Then he turned to Tommy. "'Fire ahead. I guess you've had some few adventures.' "'One or two, replied Tommy modestly, and plunged into his recital. Julius listened spellbound. Half the dishes that were placed before him he forgot to eat, at the end, he heaved a long sigh. Well, bully for you. Reads like a dime novel. 
"'And now for the home front,' said Tommy, "'stretching out his hand for a peach. "'Well,' drawled Julius, "'I don't mind admitting we've had some adventures, too.' "'Then he, in his turn, assumed the role of narrator. "'Beginning with his unsuccessful reconnoitering at Bournemouth, "'he passed on to his return to London, "'the buying of the car, "'the growing anxieties of Tuppence, "'the call upon Sir James, "'and the sensational occurrences of the previous night.' "'But who killed her?' asked Tommy. "'I don't quite understand.' "'The doctor kidded himself. She took it herself,' replied Julius dryly. "'And Sir James? What did he think?' "'Being a legal luminary, he is likewise a human oyster,' replied Julius. "'I should say he reserved judgment.' He went on to detail the events of the morning. "'Lost her memory, eh?' said Tommy with interest. "'By Jove, that explains why they looked at me so queerly "'when I spoke of questioning her. "'Bit of a slip on my part, that. "'But it wasn't the sort of thing a fellow would be likely to guess. "'They didn't give you any sort of hint as to where Jane was?' "'Tommy shook his head regretfully. "'Not a word. I'm a bit of an ass, as you know. "'I ought to have got more out of them somehow. "'I guess you're lucky to be here at all. "'The bluff of yours was the goods, all right.' "'How you ever came to think of it is all so pat it beats me to a frazzle.' "'I was in such a funk I had to think of something,' said Tommy simply. "'There was a moment's pause, and then Tommy reverted to Mrs. Vandermeyer's death. "'There's no doubt it was chloral?' "'I believe not. At least they call it heart failure induced by an overdose, or some such claptrap. "'It's all right. We don't want to be worried with an inquest.' "'But I guess Tuppence and I, and even the highbrow Sir James, "'have all got the same idea.' "'You think it was Mr. Brown?' hazarded Tommy. "'Sure thing.' Tommy nodded. "'All the same,' he said thoughtfully. "'Mr. Brown hasn't got wings. "'I don't see how he got in and out.' "'How about some high-class thought-transference stunt? "'Some magnetic influence that irresistibly impelled Mrs. Vandermeyer to commit suicide?' Tommy looked at him with respect. "'Good, Julius. Distinctly good. Especially the phraseology. But it leaves me cold. I yearn for a real Mr. Brown of flesh and blood. I think the gifted young detectives must get to work, study the entrances and exits, and tap the bumps on their foreheads until the solution of the mystery dawns on them. Let's go round to the scene of the crime. I wish we could get hold of Tuppence. The Ritz would enjoy the spectacle of the glad reunion.' "'Inquiry at the office revealed the fact that Tuppence had not yet returned. "'All the same, I guess I'll have a look round upstairs,' said Julius. "'She might be in my sitting-room.' "'He disappeared. "'Suddenly a diminutive boy spoke at Tommy's elbow. "'The young lady, she's gone away by train, I think, sir,' he murmured shyly. "'What?' "'Tommy wheeled round upon him. "'The small boy became pinker than before. Uh, "'The taxi, sir!' "'I heard her tell the driver Charing Cross and to look sharp.' "'Tommy stared at him, his eyes opening wide in surprise. "'Emboldened, the small boy proceeded. "'So I thought, having asked for an ABC and a Bradshaw.' "'Tommy interrupted him. "'When did she ask for an ABC and a Bradshaw?' "'When I took her the telegram, sir.' "'A telegram?' "'Yes, sir.' "'When was that?' "'About half-past twelve, sir.' "'Tell me exactly what happened.' The small boy drew a long breath. "'I took up a telegram to number 891. The lady was there. She opened it and gave a gasp, and then she said, very jolly-like, "'Bring me up a Bradshaw, and then ABC, and look sharp, Henry.' 
"'My name isn't Henry, but—' "'Never mind your name,' said Tommy impatiently. "'Go on.' "'Yes, sir. I brought them, and she told me to wait, and looked up something. "'And then she looks up at the clock, and hurry up,' she says. "'Tell them to get me a taxi.' "'And she begins a shoving on of her hat in front of the glass, "'and she was down in two ticks, almost as quick as I was. "'And I seed her going down the steps and into the taxi, "'and I heard her call out what I told you.' The small boy stopped and replenished his lungs. Tommy continued to stare at him. At that moment Julius rejoined him. He held an open letter in his hand. "'I say, Hersheimer,' Tommy turned to him, "'Tuppence has gone off sleuthing on her own.' "'Shucks!' "'Yes, she has. She went off in a taxi to Charing Cross in a deuce of a hurry, after getting a telegram.' His eye fell on the letter in Julius's hand. "'Oh, she left a note for you? That's all right. Where's she off to?' Almost unconsciously he held out his hand for the letter, but Julius folded it up and placed it in his pocket. He seemed a trifle embarrassed. "'I guess this has nothing to do with it. It's about something else. Something I asked her that she was to let me know about.' "'Oh.' Tommy looked puzzled and seemed waiting for more. "'See here,' said Julius suddenly. "'I'd better put you wise. I asked Miss Tuppence to marry me this morning.' "'Oh,' said Tommy mechanically. He felt dazed. Julius's words were totally unexpected. For the moment, they benumbed his brain. "'I'd like to tell you,' continued Julius, "'that before I suggested anything of the kind to Miss Tuppence, "'I made it clear that I didn't want to butt in in any way between her and you.' Tommy roused himself. "'That's all right,' he said quickly. "'Tuppence and I have been pals for years. Nothing more.' He lit a cigarette with a hand that shook ever so little. "'That's quite all right.' Tuppence always said that she was looking out for... He stopped abruptly, his face crimsoning, but Julius was in no way discomposed. Oh, I guess it'll be the dollars that'll do the trick. Miss Tuppence put me wise to that right away. There's no humbug about her. We have to get along together very well. Tommy looked at him curiously for a minute, as though he were about to speak, then changed his mind and said nothing. Tuppence and Julius? Well, why not? Had she not lamented the fact that she knew no rich men? Had she not openly avowed her intention of marrying for money if she ever had the chance? Her meeting with the young American millionaire had given her the chance, and it was unlikely she would be slow to avail herself of it. She was up for money. She had always said so. Why blame her because she had been true to her creed? Nevertheless, Tommy did blame her. He was filled with a passionate and utterly illogical resentment. It was all very well to say things like that, but a real girl would never marry for money. Tuppence was utterly cold-blooded and selfish, and he would be delighted if he never saw her again. And it was a rotten world. Julius's voice broke in on the meditations. Yes, we ought to get along together very well. I've heard that a girl always refuses you once, a sort of convention. Tommy caught his arm. Refuses? Did, did you say refuses? "'Sure thing. Didn't I tell you that? She just rapped out a no without any kind of reason to it. The eternal feminine, the Huns call it, I've heard. But she'll come round right enough. Likely enough. I hustled her some—' But Tommy interrupted regardless of decorum. "'What did she say in that note?' he demanded fiercely. The obliging Julius handed it to him. "'There's no earthly clue in it as to where she's gone,' he assured Tommy. "'But you might as well see for yourself if you don't believe me.' The note 
in Tuppence's well-known schoolboy writing, ran as follows. Dear Julius, it's always better to have things in black and white. I don't feel I can be bothered to think of marriage until Tommy is found. Let's leave it till then. Yours affectionately, Tuppence. Tommy handed it back, his eyes shining. His feelings had undergone a sharp reaction. He now felt that Tuppence was all that was noble and disinterested. Had she not refused Julius without hesitation? True, the note betokened signs of weakening, but he could excuse that. It read almost like a bribe to Julius to spur him on in his efforts to find Tommy, but he supposed she had not really meant it that way. Darling Tuppence, there was not a girl in the world to touch her. When he saw her, his thoughts were brought up with a sudden jerk. As you say, he remarked, pulling himself together, there's not a hint here as to what she's up to. Hi, Henry. The small boy came obediently. Tommy produced five shillings. One thing more, Henry. Do you remember what the young lady did with the telegram? Henry gasped and spoke. She crumpled it up into a ball and threw it into the grate. It made a sort of noise like, Whoop, sir. Very graphic, Henry, said Tommy. Here's your five shillings. Come on, Julius. We must find that telegram. They hurried upstairs. Tuppence had left the key in her door. The room was as she had left it. In the fireplace was a crumpled ball of orange and white. Tommy disentangled it and smoothed out the telegram. Come at once. Moat House. Ebury. Yorkshire. Great developments. Tommy. They looked at each other in stupefaction. Julius spoke first. You didn't send it? Of course not, said Tommy. What does it mean? I guess it means the worst, said Julius quietly. They've got her. What? Sure thing. They signed your name, and she fell into the trap like a lamb. My God, what shall we do? Get busy and go after her, right now. There's no time to waste. It's almighty luck that she didn't take the wire with her. If she had, we'd probably never have traced her. But we've got to hustle. Where's that Bradshaw? The energy of Julius was infectious. Left to himself, Tommy would probably have sat down to think things out for a good half hour before he decided on a plan of action. But with Julius Hersheimer about, hustling was inevitable. After a few muttered imprecations, he handed the Bradshaw to Tommy as being more conversant with its mysteries. Tommy abandoned it in favor of an ABC map. Here we are, Ebury, Yorkshire, from King's Cross or St. Pancras. The boy must have made a mistake. It was King's Cross, not Charing Cross. 1250. That's the train she went by. 210. That's gone. 320 is the next. And a damn slow train, too. What about the car? said Julius. Tommy shook his head. Send it up if you like, but we better stick to the train. The great thing is to keep calm. Julius groaned. That's so, but it gets my goat to think of that innocent young girl in danger. Tommy nodded abstractedly. He was thinking. In a moment or two, he said, I say, Julius, what do they want her for anyway? Eh? I don't get you. What I mean is that I don't think it's their game to do her any harm, explained Tommy, puckering his brow with the strain of his mental processes. She's a hostage, that's what she is. She's in no immediate danger, because if we tumble onto anything, she'd be damned useful to them. As long as they've got her, they've got the whip hand of us. See? Yes, said Julius thoughtfully. I think so. Besides, added Tommy, as an afterthought, I've great faith in Tuppence. The journey was wearisome, with many stops and crowded carriages. They had to change twice, 
Once at Doncaster, once at a small junction. Ebury was a deserted station with a solitary porter, to whom Tommy addressed himself. "'Can you tell me the way to the moat house?' "'The moat house? It's a tidy step from here. The big house near the sea, you mean?' Tommy assented brazenly. After listening to the porter's meticulous but perplexing directions, they prepared to leave the station. It was beginning to rain, and they turned up the collars of their coats as they trudged through the slush of the road. Suddenly Tommy halted. "'Wait a moment.' He ran back to the station and tackled the porter anew. "'Look here. Do you remember a young lady who arrived by an earlier train, the 1250 from London? She probably asked you the way to the moat house.' He described Tuppence as well as he could, but the porter shook his head. Several people had arrived by the train in question. He could not call to mind one young lady in particular, but he was quite certain that no one had asked him the way to the moat house.' Tommy rejoined Julius and explained. Depression was settling on him like a leaden weight. He felt convinced that their quest was going to be unsuccessful. The enemy had over three hours' start. Three hours was more than enough for Mr. Brown. He would not ignore the possibility of the telegram having been found. The way seemed endless. Once they took the wrong turning and went nearly half a mile out of their direction. It was past seven o'clock when a small boy told him that Tomote House was just past the next corner. A rusty iron gate swinging dismally on its hinges, an overgrown drive thick with leaves. There was something about the place that struck a chill to both their hearts. They went up the deserted drive. The leaves deadened their footsteps. The daylight was almost gone. It was like walking in a world of ghosts. Overhead the branches flapped and creaked with a mournful note. Occasionally a sodden leaf drifted silently down, startling them with its cold touch on their cheek. A turn of the drive brought them in sight of the house. That, too, seemed empty and deserted. The shutters were closed, the steps up to the door overgrown with moss. Was it indeed to this desolate spot that Tuppence had been decoyed? It seemed hard to believe that a human footstep had passed this way for months. Julius jerked the rusty bell handle. A jangling peal rang discordantly, echoing through the emptiness within. No one came. They rang again and again, but there was no sign of life. Then they walked completely round the house, everywhere silence, and shuttered windows. If they could believe the evidence of their eyes, the place was empty. "'Nothing doing,' said Julius. They retraced their steps slowly to the gate. "'There must be a village handy,' continued the young American. "'We'd better make inquiries there. They'll know something about the place, and whether there's been anyone there lately.' "'Yes, that's not a bad idea.' Proceeding up the road, they soon came to a little hamlet. On the outskirts of it, they met a workman swinging his bag of tools, and Tommy stopped him with a question. "'The moat house, it's empty. Been empty for years. Mrs. Sweeney's got the key if you want to go over it. Next to the post office.' Tommy thanked him. They soon found the post office, which was also a sweet and general fancy shop, and knocked at the door of the cottage next to it. A clean, wholesome-looking woman opened it. She readily produced the key of the moat house. "'Though I doubt it's the kind of place to suit you, sir, in a terrible state of repair, ceilings leaking and all, twould mean a lot of money spent on it.' "'Thanks,' said Tommy cheerily. "'I dare say it'll be a washout, but houses are scarce nowadays.' "'That they are,' declared the woman heartily. "'My daughter and son-in-law have been looking for a decent cottage for I don't know how long. It's all the war.' "'Upset things terribly, it has. "'But excuse me, sir. "'It'll be too dark for you to see much of the house. 
"'Hadn't you better wait until tomorrow?' "'That's all right. "'We'll have a look around this evening anyway. "'We'd have been here before, only we lost our way. "'What's the best place to stay at for the night round here?' "'Mrs. Sweeney looked doubtful. "'There's the Yorkshire Arms, "'but it's not much of a place for gentlemen like you.' "'Oh, it will do very well, thanks. "'By the way, you've not had a young lady here "'asking for this key today.' "'The woman shook her head. "'No one's been over the place for a long time.' "'Thanks very much.' "'They retraced their steps to the moat house. "'As the front door swung back on its hinges, "'protesting loudly, "'Julia struck a match and examined the floor carefully. "'Then he shook his head. "'No one's passed this way. "'Look at the dust. "'Still thick. "'Not a sign of a footmark. "'They wandered round the deserted house. "'Everywhere the same story. "'Thick layers of dust apparently undisturbed. "'This gets me,' said Julius. "'I don't believe Tuppence was ever in this house.' "'She must have been.' "'Julius shook his head without replying. "'We'll go over it again tomorrow,' said Tommy. "'Perhaps we'll see more in the daylight.' "'On the morrow they took up the search once more, "'and were reluctantly forced to the conclusion "'that the house had not been invaded for some considerable time. "'They might have left the village altogether, "'but for a fortunate discovery of Tommy's. "'As they were retracing their steps to the gate, "'he gave a sudden cry, and stooping, "'picked something up from among the leaves, "'and held it out to Julius. "'It was a small gold brooch. "'That's Tuppence's.' "'Are you sure?' "'Absolutely. "'I've often seen her wear it.' "'Julius drew a deep breath. "'I guess that settles it. "'She came as far as here, anyway. "'We'll make that pub our headquarters "'and raise hell round here till we find her. "'Somebody must have seen her.' "'Forthwith the campaign began. "'Tommy and Julius worked separately and together.' but the result was the same. Nobody answering to Tuppence's description had been seen in the vicinity. They were baffled, but not discouraged. Finally, they altered their tactics. Tuppence had certainly not remained long in the neighborhood of the moat house. That pointed to her having been overcome and carried away in a car. They renewed their inquiries. Had anyone seen a car standing somewhere near the moat house that day? Again, they met with no success. Julius wired to town for his own car, and they scoured the neighborhood daily with unflagging zeal. A gray limousine on which they had set high hopes was traced to Harrowgate, and turned out to be the property of a highly respectable maiden lady. Each day saw them set out on a new quest. Julius was like a hound on a leash. He followed up the slenderest clue. Every car that had passed through the village on the fateful day was tracked down. He forced his way into country properties, and submitted the owners of the motors to a searching cross-examination. His apologies were as thorough as his methods, and seldom failed in disarming the indignation of his victims. But, as day succeeded day, they were no nearer to discovering Tuppence's whereabouts. So well had the abduction been planned that the girl seemed literally to have vanished into thin air. And another preoccupation was weighing on Tommy's mind. "'Do you know how long we've been here?' he asked one morning, as they ate facing each other at breakfast. "'A week! We're no nearer to finding Tuppets. And next Sunday is the twenty-ninth.' "'Nah, shucks,' said Julius, thoughtfully. "'I'd almost forgotten about the twenty-ninth. I've been thinking of nothing but Tuppets.' "'So have I. At least, I hadn't forgotten about the twenty-ninth, but it didn't seem to matter a damn in comparison to finding Tuppets. But today's the twenty-third, and time's getting short.' If we're ever going to get hold of her at all, we must do it before the twenty-ninth. Her life won't be worth an hour's purchase afterwards. The hostage game will be played out by then. 
"'I'm beginning to feel that we've made a big mistake "'in the way we've set about this. "'We've wasted time, "'and we're no further than we were when we started. "'I'm with you there. "'We've been a couple of mutts "'who've bitten off a bigger bit than they can chew. "'I'm going to quit fooling right away.' "'What do you mean?' "'I'll tell you, Tommy. "'I'm going to do what we ought to have done a week ago. "'I'm going right back to London "'to put the case in the hands of your British police. "'We fancied ourselves as sleuths. "'Sleuths!' "'It was a piece of damn fool foolishness. "'I'm through. I've had enough of it. "'Scotland Yard for me. "'You're right,' said Tommy, slowly. "'I wish to God we'd gone there right away. "'Well, better late than never. "'We've been like a couple of babes playing "'Here we go round the mulberry bush. "'Now I'm going right along to Scotland Yard "'to ask them to take me by the hand "'and show me the way I should go. "'I guess the professional always scores over the amateur in the end. "'Are you coming along with me?' "'Tommy shook his head.' "'What's the good? One of us is enough. "'I might as well stay here and nose around a bit longer. "'Something might turn up. One never knows.' "'Sure thing. Well, so long. "'I'll be back in a couple of shakes with a few inspectors along. "'I shall tell them to pick out their brightest and their best.' "'But the course of events was not to follow the plan Julius had laid down. "'Later in the day Tommy received a wire. "'Join me Manchester Midland Hotel.' "'Important news. Julius.' "'At 7.30 that night, Tommy alighted from a slow cross-country train. "'Julius was on the platform. "'I thought you'd come by this train if you weren't out when my wire arrived.' "'Tommy grasped him by the arm. "'What is it? Is Tuppence found?' "'Julius shook his head. "'No, but I found this waiting in London. Just arrived.' "'He handed the telegraph form to the other. "'Tommy's eyes opened as he read. "'Jane Finn found.' "'Come Manchester Midland Hotel, immediately. "'Peel Edgerton.' "'Julius took the form back and folded it up. "'Queer,' he said thoughtfully. "'I thought that lawyer chap had quit. "'We'll return with Chapter 19, "'right after these sponsor messages.' When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. And now, Chapter 19, Jane Finn. My train got in half an hour ago, explained Julius, as he led the way out of the station. I reckoned you'd come by this before I left London, and wired accordingly to Sir James. He's booked rooms for us, and we'll be round to dine at eight. What made you think he'd cease to take any interest in the case? asked Tommy curiously. What he said, replied Julius dryly. The old bird's as close as an oyster. Like all the darn lot of them, he wasn't going to commit himself till he was sure he could deliver the goods. "'I wonder,' said Tommy thoughtfully. Julius turned on him. 
"'You wonder what? "'Whether that was his real reason? "'Sure, you bet your life it was.' "'Tommy shook his head unconvinced. "'Sir James arrived punctually at eight o'clock, "'and Julius introduced Tommy. "'Sir James shook hands with him warmly. "'I'm delighted to make your acquaintance, Mr. Beresford. "'I've heard so much about you from Miss Tuppence.' "'He smiled involuntarily. "'That it really seems as though I already know you quite well.' "'Thank you, sir,' said Tommy, with his cheerful grin. He scanned the great lawyer eagerly. Like Tuppence, he felt the magnetism of the other's personality. He was reminded of Mr. Carter. The two men, totally unlike so far as physical resemblance went, produced a similar effect. Beneath the weary manner of the one, and the professional reserve of the other, lay the same quality of mind, keen-edged like a rapier. In the meantime, he was conscious of Sir James's close scrutiny— when the lawyer dropped his eyes, the young man had the feeling that the other had read him through and through, like an open book. He could not but wonder what the final judgment was, but there was little chance of learning that. Sir James took in everything, but gave out only what he chose. A proof of that occurred almost at once. Immediately the first greetings were over. As soon as the first greetings were over, Julius broke out into a flood of eager questions. How had Sir James managed to track the girl? Why had he not let them know that he was still working on the case? And so on. Sir James stroked his chin and smiled. At last he said, Just so, just so. Well, she's found. And that's the great thing, isn't it? Eh? Come now. That's the great thing. Sure it is. But just how did you strike her trail? Miss Tuppence and I thought you'd quit for good and all. Ah! The lawyer shot a lightning glance at him, then resumed operations on his chin. "'You thought that, did you? Did you really? Hm. Dear me. But I guess I can take it we were wrong,' pursued Julius. "'Well, I don't know that I should go so far as to say that. But it's certainly fortunate for all the parties that we've managed to find the young lady.' "'So where is she?' demanded Julius, his thoughts flying off on another tack. "'I thought you'd be sure to bring her along.' "'That would hardly be possible,' said Sir James gravely. "'Why?' "'because the young lady was knocked down in a street accident "'and has sustained slight injuries to the head. "'She was taken to the infirmary, "'and on recovering consciousness gave her name as Jane Finn. "'When I heard that, "'I arranged for her to be removed to the house of a doctor, "'who was a friend of mine, "'and then I wired at once for you. "'She relapsed into unconsciousness "'and has not spoken since. "'She's not seriously hurt? "'Oh, a bruise and a cut or two, really, "'from a medical point of view, "'absurdly slight injuries to have produced such a condition.' Her state is probably to be attributed to the mental shock consequent upon recovering her memory. "'It's come back?' cried Julius excitedly. Sir James tapped the table rather impatiently. "'Undoubtedly, Mr. Hersheimer. Since he was able to give her real name, I thought you had appreciated that point.' "'And you just happened to be on the spot,' said Tommy. "'Seems like quite a fairy tale.' But Sir James was too far wary to be drawn." "'Coincidences are curious things,' he said dryly. "'Nevertheless, Tommy was now certain of what he had before only suspected. "'Sir James's presence in Manchester was not accidental. "'Far from abandoning the case, as Julius supposed, "'he had by some means of his own successfully run the missing girl to earth. "'The only thing that puzzled Tommy was the reason for all this secrecy. "'He concluded that it was a foible of the legal mind. "'Julius was speaking.' "'After dinner,' he announced, "'I shall go right away and see Jane.' "'That will be impossible, I fear,' said Sir James, 
"'it is very unlikely they would allow her to see visitors at this time of night. "'I should suggest tomorrow morning about ten o'clock.' "'Julius flushed. "'There was something in Sir James which always stirred him to antagonism. "'It was a conflict of two masterful personalities.' "'All the same,' said Julius. "'I reckon I'll go round there tonight "'and see if I can ginger them up "'to break through their jolly rules.' "'It will be quite useless, Mr. Hersheimer.' "'The words came out like the crack of a pistol, "'and Tommy looked up with a start. "'Julius was nervous and excited. "'The hand with which he raised his glass to his lips "'shook slightly, "'but his eyes held Sir James's defiantly. "'For a moment the hostility between the two "'seemed likely to burst into flame, "'but in the end... "'Julius lowered his eyes, defeated. "'For the moment. "'I reckon you're the boss.' "'Thank you,' said Sir James. "'We will say ten o'clock, then?' "'With consummate ease of manner, he turned to Tommy. "'I must confess, Mr. Beresford, "'that it was something of a surprise to me "'to see you here this evening. "'The last I heard of you "'was that your friends were in grave anxiety on your behalf. "'Nothing had been heard of you for some days, "'and Miss Tuppence was inclined to think "'you had gotten into difficulties.' "'I had, sir,' Tommy grinned reminiscently. "'I was never in a tighter place in my life.' Helped out by questions from Sir James, he gave an abbreviated account of his adventures. The lawyer looked at him with renewed interest as he brought the tale to a close. "'You got yourself out of a tight place very well,' he said gravely. "'I congratulate you. You displayed a great deal of ingenuity and carried your part through well.' Tommy blushed, his face assuming a prawn-like hue with praise. "'I couldn't have got away but for the girl, sir.' "'No, you're right,' Sir James smiled a little. "'It was lucky for you she happened to take a fancy to you.' Tommy appeared about to protest, but Sir James went on. "'There's no doubt about her being one of the gang, I suppose?' "'I'm afraid not, sir. I thought perhaps they were keeping her there by force, but the way she acted didn't fit in with that. You see, she went back to them when she could have got away.' "'Sir James nodded thoughtfully. "'What did she say? "'Something about wanting to be taken to Marguerite?' "'Yes, sir. "'I suppose she met Mrs. Vandermeyer. "'She always signed herself Rita Vandermeyer. "'All her friends spoke of her as Rita. "'Still, I suppose the girl must have been in the habit "'of calling her by her full name. "'And at the moment she was crying out to her, "'Mrs. Vandermeyer was either dead or dying. "'Curious. "'There are one or two points that strike me as being obscure.' "'their sudden change of attitude towards yourself, for instance. "'By the way, the house was raided, of course.' "'Yes, sir, but they'd all cleared out.' "'Naturally,' said Sir James dryly. "'And not a clue left behind.' "'I wonder.' "'The lawyer tapped the table thoughtfully. "'Would this man's eyes have seen something where theirs had been blind?' "'He spoke impulsively. "'I wish you'd been there, sir, to go over the house.' "'I wish I had,' said Sir James quietly. "'He sat for a moment in silence. "'Then he looked up. "'And since then, what have you been doing?' "'For a moment, Tommy stared at him. "'Then it dawned on him that of course the lawyer did not know. "'I forgot that you didn't know about Tuppence,' he said slowly. "'The sickening anxiety, forgotten for a while "'in the excitement of knowing Jane Finn was found at last, "'swept over him again. "'The lawyer laid down his knife and fork sharply.' "'Has anything happened to Miss Tuppence?' "'His voice was keen-edged. "'She's disappeared,' said Julius. "'When? A week ago. How?' "'Sir James's questions fairly shot out. 
"'Between them, Tommy and Julius gave the history of the last week "'and their futile search. "'Sir James went at once to the root of the matter. "'A wire signed with your name? "'They knew enough of you both for that. "'They weren't sure of how much you had learnt in that house. "'Their kidnapping of Miss Tuppets is the counter-move to your escape. "'If necessary, they could seal your lips with the threat of what might happen to her.' "'Tommy nodded. "'That's just what I thought, sir.' "'Sir James looked at him keenly. "'You had worked all that out, had you? "'Not bad. "'Not at all bad. "'The curious thing is that they certainly did not know anything about you "'when they first held you prisoner. "'You are sure that you did not in any way disclose your identity?' "'Tommy shook his head. "'That's so,' said Julius with a nod. "'Therefore I reckon someone put them wise, "'and not earlier than Sunday afternoon.' "'Yes, but who?' "'That almighty, omniscient Mr. Brown, of course.' "'There was a faint note of derision in the American's voice "'which made Sir James look up sharply. "'You don't believe in Mr. Brown, Mr. Hersheimer?' "'No, sir, I do not,' returned the young American, with emphasis. "'Not as such, that is to say. "'I reckon it out that he's a figurehead, "'just a bogey name to frighten the children with. "'The real head of this business is that Russian chap, Kreminin.' "'I guess he's quite capable of running revolutions in three countries at once, if he chooses. "'The man Whittington is probably the head of the English branch.' "'I disagree with you,' said Sir James shortly. "'Mr. Brown exists.' "'He turned to Tommy. "'Did you happen to notice where the wire was handed in?' "'No, sir, I'm afraid I didn't.' "'Hm. Got it with you?' "'It's upstairs, sir, in my kit.' "'I'd like to have a look at it sometime.' "'No hurry. You've wasted a week.' "'Tommy hung his head. "'A day or so more is immaterial. "'We'll deal with Miss Jane Finn first. "'Afterwards, we'll set to work to rescue Miss Tuppence from bondage. "'I don't think she's in any immediate danger. "'That is, so long as they don't know that we've got Jane Finn "'and that her memory is returned. "'We must keep that dark at all costs. Do you understand?' "'The other two assented, and after making arrangements for meeting on the morrow— the great lawyer took his leave. At ten o'clock a.m., the two young men were at the appointed spot. Sir James had joined them on the doorstep. He alone appeared unexcited. He introduced them to the doctor. Mr. Hersheimer, Mr. Beresford, this is Dr. Roylance. How's the patient? Going on well. Evidently no idea of the flight of time. I was asked this morning how many had been saved from the Lusitania. Was it in the papers yet? That, of course, was only what was to be expected. She seems to have something on her mind, though. I think we can relieve her anxiety. May we go up? Certainly. Tommy's heart beat sensibly faster as they followed the doctor upstairs. Jane Finn at last. The long-sought, the mysterious, the elusive Jane Finn. How wildly improbable success had seemed. And here, in this house, her memory almost miraculously restored lay the girl who held the future of England in her hands. A half-groan broke from Tommy's lips. If only Tuppence could have been at his side to share in the triumphant conclusion of their joint venture. Then he put the thought of Tuppence resolutely aside. His confidence in Sir James was growing. There was a man who would unerringly ferret out Tuppence's whereabouts. In the meantime, Jane Finn. And suddenly a dread clutched at his heart. It seemed too easy. "'Suppose they should find her dead, "'stricken down by the hand of Mr. Brown.' "'In another minute he was laughing "'at those melodramatic fancies. 
the doctor held open the door of a room, and they passed in. On the white bed, bandages round her head, lay the girl. Somehow the whole scene seemed unreal. It was so exactly what one expected that it gave the effect of being beautifully staged. The girl looked from one to the other of them with large, wondering eyes. Sir James spoke first. "'Miss Finn,' he said, "'this is your cousin, Mr. Julius P. Hersheimer.' A faint flush flitted over the girl's face as Julius stepped forward and took her hand. "'How do, Cousin Jane?' he said lightly. But Tommy caught the tremor in his voice. "'Are you really Uncle Hiram's son?' she asked wonderingly. Her voice, with the slight warmth of the western accent, had an almost thrilling quality. It seemed vaguely familiar to Tommy, but he thrust the impression aside as impossible. "'Sure thing!' "'We used to read about Uncle Hiram in the papers,' "'continued the girl, in her low, soft tones. "'But I never thought I'd meet you one day. "'Mother figured it out that Uncle Hiram "'would never get over being mad with her.' "'The old man was like that,' admitted Julius. "'But I guess the new generation's sort of different. "'Got no use for the family feud business. First thing I thought about, soon as the war was over, "'was to come along and hunt you up.' "'A shadow passed over the girl's face. "'They've been telling me things.' "'dreadful things, that my memory went, "'and that there are years I shall never know about, "'years lost out of my life. "'You didn't realize that yourself?' "'The girl's eyes opened wide. "'Why, no. "'It seems to me as though it were no time "'since we were being hustled into those boats. "'I can see it all now.' "'She closed her eyes with a shudder. "'Julius looked across at Sir James, who nodded. "'Don't worry, Henny. "'It isn't worth it. "'Now see here, Jane. "'There's something we want to know about.' There was a man aboard that boat with some mighty important papers on him, and the big guns in this country have got a notion that he passed on the goods to you. Is that so? The girl hesitated, her glance shifting to the other two. Julius understood. Mr. Beresford is commissioned by the British government to get those papers back. Sir James Peel Edgerton is an English member of the Parliament, and might be a big gun in the cabinet if he liked. It's because of him that we were able to find you. "'so you can go right ahead and tell us the whole story. "'Did Danvers give you the papers?' "'Yes. He said they'd have a better chance with me "'because they would save the women and children first. "'Just as we thought,' said Sir James. "'He said they were very important, "'and they might make all the difference to the Allies. "'But if it's all so long ago and the war's over, "'what does it matter now?' "'I guess history repeats itself, Jane.' First there was a great hue and cry over those papers. Then it all died down. And now the whole caboodles started all over again. For rather different reasons, though. Can you hand them over to us? I can't. What? I haven't got them. You haven't got them? Julius punctuated the words with little pauses. You haven't got them? No, I hid them. You hid them? Yes, I got uneasy. People seemed to be watching me. It scared me badly. She put her hand to her head. It's almost the last thing I remember before waking up in the hospital. Go on, said Sir James, in his quiet, penetrating tones. What do you remember? She turned to him obediently. It was at Holyhead. I came that way. I don't remember why. That doesn't matter. Go on. In the confusion on the quay, I slipped away. Nobody saw me. I took a car. I told the man to drive me out of the town. I watched when we got on the open road. 
no other car was following us. I saw a path to the side of the road. I told the man to wait. She paused, then went on. The path led to the cliff and down to the sea, between big yellow gorse bushes. They were like golden flames. I looked round. There wasn't a soul in sight. But just level with my head there was a hole in the rock. It was quite small. I could only just get my hand in. But it went a long way back. I took the oilskin packet from round my neck and shoved it right in as far as I could. Then I tore off a bit of gorse. My, but it did prick. And plugged the hole with it so that you'd never guess there was a crevice of any kind there. Then I marked the place carefully in my own mind so that I'd find it again. There was a queer boulder in the path just there, for all the world like a dog sitting up begging. Then I went back to the road. The car was waiting, and I drove back. I just caught the drain. I was a bit ashamed of myself for fancying things, maybe. But, by and by, I saw the man opposite me wink at a woman who was sitting next to me, and I felt scared again, and was glad the papers were safe. I went out in the corridor to get a little air. I thought I'd slip into another carriage, but the woman called me back. "'said I'd drop something, and when I stooped to look, "'something seemed to hit me, here.' "'She placed her hand to the back of her head. "'I don't remember anything more until I woke up in the hospital.' "'There was a pause. "'Thank you, Miss Finn. "'It was Sir James who spoke. "'I hope we've not tired you.' "'Oh, that's all right. "'My head aches a little, but otherwise I feel fine.' "'Julia stepped forward and took her hand again. "'So long, Cousin Jane.' I'm going to get busy after those papers, but I'll be back at two shakes of a dog's tail, and I'll tote you up to London and give you the time of your young life before we go back to the States. I mean it. So hurry up and get well. We'll return with our story, The Secret Adversary, by Agatha Christie, next week Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. We really appreciate reviews, so if you have a moment, please do send us a review for this show, especially you Apple listeners, for 1001 Stories for the Road. Until then, everyone. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon.